Hi, my name is John Kim. I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth many years ago, and I've been documenting my journey ever since, sharing my life lessons and revelations. I believe in casual over clinical, with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. Before I get into today's topic, things that strip joy, quick story. So I'm doing the CrossFit Open, and if you don't know, it's a worldwide competition. And back in the day when I was really into CrossFit, we would do this every year. Um, and then I stopped doing it, and this year I'm just doing it for fun. And so I was uh, uh, judging someone who was uh, doing one of the workouts, and this friend that I have is walking by me, and he's not like a super close friend, but I've known him for years, he's a friend. And I put my hand out to uh, give him a high five while I was judging this person. And he kind of looked at me, walked around my hand, completely ignored my high five and continued on. And as I was judging, I noticed that I was getting um, frustrated and angry and like, why did he completely ignore me? I was very bothered by it. So after I finished judging, I uh, walked walked over to him, and he was on, way on the other side of the room. And uh, I said, you know, were you joking, or why, why did you completely ignore me? And it, it's, it was like a, it's like a 20, 20, 30 foot walk because the gym's big. And, and I remember as I'm walking toward him, because uh, I could I could you know see him right in front of my my uh, my face as I was walking toward him. He's kind of an expressionless introverted guy right so as i was walking toward him all these feelings like you know i thought that because we're all competing technically competing that uh um he was like i don't know being being mad at me or not talking to me or or he saw me as competition which i thought was really petty so all these things are forming in my mind and i walk up to him and i say uh Hey, did you? Why? Why did you ignore me? Or are you just kidding? And he said, "Oh, I thought I thought you uh, were were pointing to go around you because you were judging someone. I didn't want to bother you." The point of this story is, in the fifteen seconds that uh, I went from him ignoring my high five to me walking over to him to ask why he ignored my high five. In those fifteen seconds. I crafted many stories about this person, felt anger, told myself I would never talk to him again, like all this stuff, right? And it turns out that uh, he thought I was just pointing to <laughs> for him to go around me. And so he wasn't ignoring my high five. I'm sharing this because uh, I think so many of us jump to conclusions and... Like, like if that was the old me, I wouldn't have approached him afterwards because of my ego or whatever. And then every time I saw him at the gym, it would be weird, right? And he probably wouldn't know why. And because I was acting weird, then he would be acting weird. And it would just be this whole thing if I never just asked him why he didn't give me a high five. I think a lot of us... Um, don't communicate in that way. Don't check in with people, friends. I mean, even if they're not your friends, but, you know, people that are in your life. Um, 
coworkers, right? Just to clarify, just to ask what's up, just to ask, are you okay? Did I read this wrong? And I think it would uh, cause... I think it would cause us to carry a lot less. So just going going back to this example, and I, I like how how kind of like mundane, everyday, and simple this example is. Even though he's not my best friend, even though I don't engage with him daily, um, it would be something that I carried. It would be a little stone in my shoe, right? It it, it would be something that kind of bothered me, not enough to where I you know I, I needed to like do anything about it, but it would it would be in the back of my mind. It'd be something that I would be carrying um, that would create anxiety or, you know, some kind of uh, possibly a cognitive distortion, you know, the stories, all of that. So just a quick note on clarifying things, double checking, making sure that the, the story you're playing in your head is in fact accurate. All right, two things Two things that strip joy, and this is, um, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think a lot of things strip joy, but this is something that I've just realized um, going back to this CrossFit Open thing. This is um, something I've realized through uh, competing in this. And so I started doing this for fun. I didn't register. And then my uh, my guy friends were like, "Why don't you just register? It's twenty bucks." And I was like, ah, "I don't I don't want to make it official because then you know I put pressure on myself, whatever." And then of course I found out that uh, being a forty nine year old, I turned fifty before um, the game starts, so I get thrown into the the fifty to fifty four year old category, which then of course gets me excited because there's a lot less competition. Um, so although I, I am saying I'm just doing it for fun, uh, there's, of course, you know, the, the competitive side in me, if you, if, if you want me to be honest. And uh, so, I, so I do the first workout, and it's, um, you know, stuff that I'm okay at. I get a decent score. And then what started stripping, and I noticed that what started stripping it of fun is, okay, I got this score. I did okay. Um I could have gotten better. I I could have gotten two more muscle ups. And if I did, it would have shot me up, you know, 15 spaces. Okay, I need to do it again. And then the thought of actually doing it again is where uh, the fun starts dissolving, right? The first time it was fun, it was exciting. You do it with all these people. The second time, now it's like lonely. Now there's pressure. Now, you know, it's strictly about um, the score, and, uh, of course, it's also lined with nervousness and fear and all that. So the first thing I think that strips fun is pressure. In, in general, pressure. So, like, the pressure to write a book, you know. Um, writing a book uh, can be very fun. Once there's a deadline, once there's money involved, uh, once there's any kind of external pressure – it, it you know it can definitely strip the fun right uh intimacy in the bedroom if you put a uh, a clock on it if there is a if there's literally a ticking clock because you only have a certain amount of time that could possibly strip the fun you know um pressure with friends if you're um hanging out with friends because you feel pressured to or because um 
you feel like, uh, you know, um, you need to hang out with someone or any kind of external pressure with family, right? With work, all of that. So think about your life and think about what you put pressure on, like un- unneeded, undue pressure. So one of the things I, I realized by, um, and I'm, we've only done two workouts, but by, by doing this this year is uh, the pressure that I put on myself and then how that pressure can strip joy. The other thing is um, the coulds, the, the only if, the um, pattern of running a black light over something and then seeing the stains. So this is a uh, bad habit of mine. Um, so using the first workout as an example, uh, I got a decent score. I was okay with it. My default isn't to be happy with it. Um, it's to run a black light to it. But but here's the thing. Now, of course, if you have a growth mindset, you want to improve. So whether we're talking about competing or you know art, uh, writing books, creating things, of course you want to get better. So you, you, you should run a black light to things, right? You, you should look at your work, your behavior, your life, ask yourself what you want to improve on. Um, but where it starts to strip the joy is if that becomes your default, right? So like if you could only see the negative, uh, and, and possibly maybe you grew up where you're trained to spot danger, right? Like maybe you grew up fast and you're just constantly um, wired to seek all the negative that could happen. And so you're just trained to see the negative instead of, um, you know, the, the positive, right? Like many people grow up like that. Uh, I think my, my brother, you know, my brother being uh, the oldest as far as sibling position, um, he's very conservative and he's uh, not, not much of a dreamer. Uh, he's wired to... He's he's wired to assess risk, and so that's and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think I need to be more like that, but that's his um, that's his wiring due to because of his story. So, if you're constantly assessing risk, what is bad, and then not able to see good, positive, uh, then I think it could strip joy. Right. So I think there's a balance. Like I could review my workout and say, oh, here are some of the things that I could have done better or went faster. If I did it again, I would do it this way. And then there has to be a period there. It it can't be, well, if only this and then I would have that. And then, you know, um, there's also room for internalization. Then it means something about you. But if you leave a period there and then you're able to say, but here's the good news you know, I did better than I thought, or um, I had a really great time, or that experience was fun, or it was nice to do something kind of competitive again, right? Or any of those things. Then you won't strip the joy. You will allow yourself to feel the joy, but also um, wanting to improve. I know I'm using the uh, um, open workouts because uh, that's that's what I'm doing right now. 
um, as an example. And I had these revelations, I mean, after every workout because I noticed I noticed myself um, doing the workout and then shortly after, I mean, before I even leave the gym, I'm already replaying, evaluating, judging myself, uh, putting a black light over the workout and only examining what went wrong. And then uh, the pressure to, to, to possibly do it again and then, you know, the dread, the dread that comes with that, right? Where, where in your life do you notice this pattern? Where in your life do you notice that you put pressure on something, undue pressure, and on top of that, your default is um, seeing the negative? So if you want to bring this to relationships... Whether you're in one or not, think about if you're not in a relationship, the, the last relationship you've been in, how were you putting pressure on that relationship? And how did putting pressure on that relationship strip the joy? Also, how are you only focusing on the bad? In uh, me and Vanessa's book, It's Not Me, It's You, had a relationship better. We talk about uh, finding beauty in the contrast, right? And one of the reasons why that really resonates with, with me is because um, is because of this, is because of my natural default to see the negative. And so I have to be aware of that and then focus intentionally on uh, finding beauty. And, and by doing so, training my brain to work differently, right? So kind of taking a pause and making a left instead of a right. And if we're not intentional about this, then you're just going to do what you're used to doing and, and suddenly it becomes uh, a pattern. Hey, you want to be on this episode? What are a couple things in your opinion that strip joy and you can't use pressure or seeing the negative in things the pattern of seeing the negative in things strips joy what strips joy for you uh comparison so comparing myself my experiences what should be happening like shoulds um that strips joy for me because then i'm I'm not allowing myself to just be with whatever's happening. Lack of presence. So I know for me, when I really fully committed to yoga, meditation, mindfulness practice, really strengthening that muscle, I became a more joyful person. Because of my mindful practice, I'm able to find joy in some of the silliest, most easy moments that a lot of people are too caught up in their head to notice and see. Um, you know, I always use that example of like the smell of jasmine in the summer. I'm one of those people where I could be having like the worst moment or things I could be pissed off or whatever. And if I get a whiff of jasmine, because I have such a mindfulness practice, it's enough to make me stop and take it in, and it completely alters my state. So, I what about the smell of John in the spring? I don't know if that's a is that a good smell or <laughs> I mean, what's the smell of John in the spring? <laughs> a sweaty smell or a good smell? Yeah, I mean, I just think like lack of mindfulness, lack of presence can can be something that for a lot of people strips joy. 
Um, we're too caught up in our heads in the rat race and the, you know, the bullshit of what do we got to do? What do we have to accomplish? Being busy, all the, you know, capitalistic bullshit to be joyful in our moments or in our day to day. You know, another thing that strips joy is uh, a lack of patience. Which I also think can be connected to a lack of mindfulness, honestly. So let me ask you this, going back to, to mindfulness, um, how do you do this in practice? If you know that you're someone who has a pattern of stripping joy, you're you know, only putting weight on big events instead of little things and, and finding you know, gold in, in the, uh, the moments of your day, how do you execute, how do you practice uh, rewiring yourself so you're allowing more joy? I mean, I could take years of work and put it into a 30-second blurb, but it's, you know, being aware, being present, being mindful is a muscle, right? So just like any muscle, we have to keep working at it, and it takes a little bit of time and practice. And so when I do, like, for example, my mindfulness course, I give people a ton of tools in hopes that one of them will stick or resonate with them, but I would say the one that I use the most for people who are just starting out is learning or using what happens in your life already as a way to become more mindful. So you don't have to all of a sudden implement a seated meditation practice to strengthen that muscle. Instead, pick one thing that you do every day, no matter what. So like brushing your teeth, washing the dishes, um, walking from your car to your office, like an action that you do every day and use that as the thing that you're going to zero in on and become mindful. So like, what does that look like in practice? So say I'm using brushing my teeth. I'm going to pay very close attention. I'm going to slow everything down. I'm going to pay very close attention to the act of twisting off the toothpaste cap, to the smell of the toothpaste the second it you know comes out of the tube, to the color of it when I put it on the brush, to the way the water feels. And if it, the water is cold, um, when I put it in my mouth, can I feel the bubbles? And then I'm going to notice if my brain starts to kind of wander or not be present in what I'm doing, and I'm going to bring it back. So all of your senses, all of your senses, all you know, slowing it down. And you do that for every day that week. If toothpaste, toothbrush is the thing you've chosen, then that's what you do every day that week. And then next week, pick a different thing. And so that is actually just like you going to the gym and doing curls. Like you're strengthening that muscle in the moments that matter. Now, the more you do uh, that, I don't do curls. Well, yes, you do. Bicep curls. Why wouldn't you do curls? I do more functional fitness. Those are just um, for aesthetics. Never mind. <laughs> That's not true. I've literally seen you do curls. So anyway, my point in that example is just like doing a specific exercise, you have to find something that can actually strengthen that muscle. And then through practice and through work, you'll find that you're more able to access that muscle in times like I was just saying, you know, I'm super stressed out, but suddenly something happens and I'm able to access joy. You know, when I was just giving you my morning hug, uh, I actually did that. Mm -hmm. I, uh, so, you know, when I hug you now, I remind myself, to um, set intention behind it, mm -hmm. don't make it just like a like a, a side hug, right? Which is the example of just going through the motions, but um, being mindful. So mm -hmm. I'm, you know, feeling your back. I'm noticing um, the pressure of the hug, mm -hmm. the smell of your hair, like mm -hmm. all like using my senses. So um, I really try to sit into moments like that, and even something as simple as a morning hug. Mm -hmm. Uh, can be a great practice. I like that. So a lack of intentionality 
would also fall under the category of a lack of presence or a lack of mindfulness, in my opinion. So I was actually just talking to a client. I see a couple. Um, I was seeing a couple yesterday, and I we were just talking about bringing more intentionality into connection into the relationship, right? Um, and you and I have talked about that. Like, if if both parties in a couple have different perspectives on what is connection, then I think sometimes bringing mindfulness and intentionality into the day-to-day can be really helpful for that because I think sometimes we each are in our own minds not being mindful. The other person might be attempting to connect with us in their way, and because we're not being mindful at the end of the week, we're like, what the hell? I don't feel connected at all. This person hasn't done anything to connect with me. Meanwhile, they've been attempting all week, but I haven't been intentional. I haven't been being mindful in those moments. So if both parties can bring more mindfulness and more intentionality into connection, then at the end of the day, both parties are going to feel more connected. Also, you know, I think these are things that we all know or at least have heard about, read about, but we, we don't practice them. Yeah, we all know that exercise helps us physically, but does everybody actually go to the gym every day and exercise, right? It's like we know, but we have to be intentional about put like weaving this or like you say, threading it into your life. We know the benefits of um, ice plunging, but... I don't care about that. <laughs> you could give us a million dollars, she won't do it. Nope, not a million, not for any amount of money. Listen, I've done it at the spa. I'll do it occasionally. But I'm not going to, like, for funsies, just dunk myself in a pool. I'm not interested. It's not for funsies. It is for funsies. It's not for funsies. It's therapeutic. I don't care. The last thing that I just wanted to mention, um, a pattern that I that I, I have is uh, I will look forward to something in the future. And by doing so, I will uh, uh, strip joy of the present. So. Yep. You know, I don't. I don't think it's bad to look forward to something. I know. I remember high school. We would uh, go to the beach almost every weekend, and at the beach, I would be uh, toes in the sand, sun on my back, and I would be looking forward to the party that night. Right, the party we're going to, and even if the beach was boring, thinking about the party and who's going to be there, and you know, is my crush going to be there? What's the engagement going to be like? Having something to look forward to always made me happy, and it, it, you know, and I think that's kind of a a healthy, okay thing mm-hmm. to do. Um, there's a lot of things in our lives that we should look forward to, right? They're kind of like rungs of a ladder, and we keep climbing, and it, and it builds, it builds anticipation, it builds joy. You look forward to things, it builds like this positive feeling. Mm-hmm. But if you are only looking forward to something like you're swinging from vine to vine and that vine is required for you to move forward, right? If you're only looking forward to the wedding, the date, the promotion, right? The win, whatever it is. And and that's all you kind of care about and get obsessed with, then it's going to be very hard to uh, find joy in the moment. Agreed. Before I go uh, off subject, well, no, actually kind of on, speaking of joy, one of the things that brings me joy is writing, and uh, I'm, run, I'm running my first writing retreat, Hillary and I, Hillary Swanson, uh, when she was over at uh, Harper One as a senior editor, she pretty much bought most of my books, and uh, we've been friends, and uh, we decided to go up in the woods and run a writer's retreat where we're going to... Uh, 
go through your stuff or if you're new and you want to sell a book, we're going to help you write a book proposal. We're also going to give you access to an agent so you can pitch your book to an agent on Zoom. Um, Rebecca Wolf, she's a best-selling author. She will also be a part of this. And so you're getting perspective from authors, from all, you know, from someone um, who worked in publishing. And uh, we're going to put you in front of an agent, something I never had when I started this. So uh, just click my bio link on my Instagram and you'll see it there. Thank you for listening. Be well.